Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Welcome to the Provoke podcast. I'm Arthi Shaw, host for today's episode and executive editor at Provoke. Um, well, it's May, and we are doing some podcasts on Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, this is a topic that, of course, you know, we cover all year at Provoke, but um, we are doing some topics specifically on this issue um, to build some additional awareness this month. And so on today's episode, we have Sabrina Lynch, who's SVP at Taylor. And we actually did a podcast with Sabrina last year on the back of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, kind of taking hold nationally um, after the murder of George Floyd. And I will actually link to that podcast because it's excellent if you haven't listened to it already. And I thought this would be a great time to kind of revisit some of those issues a year later. So welcome to the show, Sabrina. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I mean, so last year when we spoke, right, we talked a lot about what people of color specifically have dealt with in the workplace and the toll that that's taken on their, their mental health. And for a long time, that didn't seem to be a priority, um, sort of a mainstream priority. And that changed last June. Um, a year later, almost, what, what sort of, what do you think the long-term impact of that movement, of the Black Lives Movement last summer has been, especially in the workplace? So I would say, arguably, from last year, it didn't change for people of color because George Floyd's murder was no different to experiences and incidences that we haven't seen before captured on video or reported in the press. It would just seem to uh, happen at a time where the world stood still, as we like, talked about before, and people had to pay attention because there was a pause, because you couldn't escape it. But that's been our lives. So I don't believe that it was a monumentous occasion that changed the way mental health was seen um, by agencies. I think it was more an eye-opening for a lot of businesses in general to understand the weight and intensity of trauma that people of color live with every single day. We just bring our best foot forward when we step into the offices or when we're coming on a Zoom call, I should say, in like COVID times, in Zoom, um, Zoom times. So I think it was more an appreciation for uh, the mental scars that are carried from outside factors that are beyond our control or are in our control, but are being ignored uh, for that. And where we are today is that having to relive trauma because coming up to the anniversary of it, but also knowing and getting weekly, daily reminders that these incidences don't stop, not just the people of color, but I would say again, like this broad stretch, uh, spectrum in, of diverse audiences and communities, not just from a racial perspective, from a religious perspective, also from uh, looking at transgender rights in the LGBTQ community. So I would say it's about time Right. Businesses took it as seriously as they were forced to or their hand was forced to last year. So, I mean, what about in terms of, you know, for people of color, the fact that, you know, suddenly last, as of last summer, we were having conversations about white privilege and white supremacy in the workplace that I, I don't think were commonplace before last summer. In fact, I remember talking to a DEI specialist last summer who said she had never even uttered the words white supremacy at her workplace until last year, right? I mean, that's just not how DE&I 
was discussed prior to last summer. Um, do you think the fact that, you know, people of color may notice that they're white, you know, coworkers, colleagues have unpacked white supremacy and have unpacked white privilege and perhaps in a way that some of them maybe had not done prior to last yeah, summer? Yeah, for sure. Some of the for sure. I think there was an also an understanding. I think the unpacking is still happening, to be honest right. with you. Because when somebody says white supremacy, all of a sudden, I believe that brings up a direct archetype of what that looks like, whether it's KKK, someone with a Nazi um, badge on, spewing this rhetoric, but not understanding that white su um, supremacy does not have to be direct. It's implicit. It is subtle. You see in part of our legal systems, as part of the, the setups for social injustices that are happening on everyday basis. So not making it such a dangerous taboo word. It's not taboo because it's real for us and the impact is for us, but you actually have to be able to recognize it. And I think that's what's been the eye-opening is the recognition of what white supremacy is and what that looks like in a way that a pool, a massive pool of audience has never had to understand and unpack before. Well then, you know, two, two things that I'm gonna ask you about now. So, um, you know, we, we, we saw things like, like what's happening at base camp or Coinbase. Mm. Do you think that this is indicative of a larger trend towards sort of like fatigue around social issues? You know, I mean, what, you know, I think what, what um, base camp had said was right, like I think the language is like, it zaps our energy. It takes our focus away from building great products or, you know, whatever, you know, their, the, the mission, you know, as, as described. Do you, are you concerned that we're going to see more companies look in that direction of like the sense that, okay, this is a lot and in the toll it's taking is just too much and that we like, we're just going to say enough, there's fatigue. Um, yeah, for real. I think the word for me, I wouldn't even be concerned because that is just behavior that was done back in 2019, 18, etc. Is it, are you going to revert Right. So it's not about concerning moving forward, but are you going to actively make a choice to revert back to the way you were? And to the point that the statement that you made is that it takes away, I think you said it's that base camp mentioned it's taking away from X, Y, and Z. Taking away from who exactly? <laughs> because we still have to live with this every day. It's still our lives that are being discussion and it's still reverberating through the community. So is it easier for you because you don't have to deal with the burden and your expectations that a certain number of your employees still have to go through it as long as you don't talk about it and it doesn't impact our end, you know, the product and the output at the end of day? Right. So it's more about you creating comfort zones for yourself than it is, let's be real, it's got nothing to do with your business. It's about you. Right, right. You know, I mean, on, on, the, on the, the other side of that is I, I'm, you know, how do we balance the fact that you know, there, there is, 2020 was such a heavy year, right? People emotionally, physically, right? I mean, mentally. And, you know, as, I, as I'm talking to agencies, PR agencies, you know, they're, they're noticing that there's a, a greater appetite for sort of lighter fare, especially when they're dealing with like pitching media, for instance. And, um, you know, they're, they're kind of pivoting from sort of some of the heavier topics of 2020 into some, you know, people are looking forward to a summer in which they can start crawling back to some normalcy if they're, especially if they're vaccinated and things like that. As, you know, like, how, how do you think that, that we should manage this, you know, this fatigue in the sense of like, and I don't think it's just, you know, it's, I think people of color probably feel this too, of just like, 
okay, I, you know, we, now I, you know, I want to just think about like what, you know, what, what I don't, I don't want to throw anything trivial out there, but you know, something that's, you know, where's, where am I going to go? Where's the first place I'm going to go to once I'm vaccinated and safe and, and things like that. How do we, how do we balance sort of not over taxing people? Um, yeah, I think, and it's a very valid point. I would say that you never want to feel that the, the, you don't want to feel that your your main reason for existence based on your skin color, your age, your gender, your sexuality is always rooted in trauma. That's mm -hmm. not, that's just such a, a sad linear way of thinking about the way we move in this world. You do need the yin and the yang. So as much as there is trauma, there is also joy. But, and I think those two work definitely in consistency, but also that the joy should not be ignorant to the issues that are causing the trauma ish, um, as well. So for instance, if everybody's going into, um, going into Independence Day, for instance, in July, and it's great being proud of your nationality, being with your family, but also remembering what, where we were last year. Mm -hmm. So how many families weren't really having that sense of independence, that sense of like, you know, being right. loyal to the flag, being loyal to, to uh, the, a country that's ultimately failing a number of communities and benefiting more so than others. So as much as you are acknowledging the joint and bringing it um, and making it about the unity, I would say, yeah, rather yeah. than individual frivolous, uh, frivolous activities, making it about the unity, making it about a celebration of being with each other, making it about the small blessings that give us the joy. That's where you win, because right. once you're able to have that, that's your out. That's your output. That's the way that you can inhale. So exhale, I should say. Right, so you right. can inhale when needed, when facing the trauma or trying to make the changes that really benefit people of color and all audiences that need it in that time. You know, I think that that's so well put. It's like, you know, there are people do not want to have their identities based on trauma, right? Yeah, and I think, and, yeah. and, and so it kind of, you know, and, and I think there is this perception that that's sometimes, you know, when I have these conversations with people, sometimes it seems like that's the, the expectation. And I, I think you really, you put it really well. Um, you know, one of the other things I, I want to look at, especially as we are, you know, as people are getting vaccinated and, and, and they're thinking about what our post-pandemic workplace will look like. And I'd love to get your, your thoughts on sort of how you think we have been fundamentally changed by the last, you know, 12 to 18 months and, and what you think that, what impact do you think that will, that will have on what the workplace of the future looks like? And then tying this back to mental health, I mean, what, how have people's expectations changed in terms of how they take care of themselves and, and how can a workplace sort of meet them where they're at now? But I'm going to throw something that my granddad used to say, like granddad's always say, you've always got to make room for take item, for take item patois. And what he meant by that was you have to stand still to also remember and take a, a holistic look of all the things that are going on in your life and what you want to prioritize. And I think that's how things will change as people move into the office and making the balance. So beforehand, depending what industry that you were working in, mm -hmm. I think it was positioned as, the, your life was an inconvenience to the work that we was being done in a particular space in an office area. So anything that infringed upon your time that was not being filtered into the business was bad. And it's expectations as well of like long hours, difficult clients, starting your day problem solving, ending your day late at night problem solving, working for 10 hours straight. It was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a stigma, it was an acceptance. And I believe that's been completely reset. 
um, where we are today uh, is that actually my life is what uh, goes on when when you start work or when you end work it's still going on in the background and there's an appreciation for the humanity that is needed and compassion and empathy for that and keeping that work-life balance and again I cannot emphasize that word enough is the balance is that how you are able to i'm going to go back to the breathing metaphor how you giving people moments to exhale so they can inhale and deal with the day-to-day um to do's the activities and responsibilities that comes with their career growth and whatever activity that can be on that day you can't have one without the other you know i think that was such an an excellent point that you made about um you know before the pandemic people's any any anything that interfered with someone's ability to work was considered to be an inconvenience, whether that was a doctor's appointment, whether that was an illness, whether whether that was picking a child up from school or the need to to be at home because the plumber's coming or you know, whatever it is, it was very mistreated like it like it like an like an inconvenience. And I think that's what people like came to value over this last year was that you know, you didn't have to make special arrangements if you had a plumber coming or whatever it was, because you, you know, you were already, you know, working remotely and you could already manage yeah. some of those life activities, right? Yeah, I've been on a client call and then I'm, I'm giving a presentation and then I'm hearing my my <laughs> the, my apartment buzzer going. I was like, I'm really sorry, but I think FedEx is here, yeah. and everybody like laughing a little bit because it's it's life can't happen we're in the apartment we're in lockdown but right. it wasn't i didn't feel like it was something that could be that would be penalized because everybody was living it in the same everyone way. was living it and i, and I think yes. that's been the humanity right of this of the last 12 months i mean it, you didn't have to be really embarrassed when your child walked past behind you um or you know your dog barked and i mean i i, I did a pod I, well, there was a day that I, I think i did three different calls including a podcast with some very high level people at high level organizations and every single one of them, male and female, there was actually two men and one, one woman had to pause in the middle of our conversation and handle a child issue. Um, you know, remote learning, getting them back on their iPad, whatever it was. And I just, and that really brought home to me, like how much this has become normalized. And, and, and it makes me wonder, like, do you think we could ever go back to a world where that was stigmatized or do you think we are changed um, by this experience? I just don't think we are the same people that would allow that to go to revert back to the way it was, particularly when we know that we can be just as productive, supportive to one another in these isolations and working from home. And again, I mean, obviously, I'm coming at it from one perspective within the industry that I'm you know, blessed to work with. Others might not be as fortunate if you're like um, lab, you know, labor worker or blue chip, right. um, blue collar worker. Right. But what I do feel is that, that, that what will be maintained and the momentum will continue is the tools that businesses put forward to give support for self-organization. Because mm. ultimately it's where we were from last year is like, how do we sustain this in your working environment? What can we do to help? How can we help you set up a home office? What time do you need? Let's block off. Some businesses I know saying no Zoom calls on a Friday just to make sure that people again have that time have that um, mental health space and that is going to continue because I don't believe that any employee is going to look to go back particularly when they know or probably weren't even realizing it themselves of how much they needed it right the taking again I think we're going back to that point right about autonomy taking autonomy of your schedule to still get the work done but doing it in a way that actually allows you the space to think to breathe to Mm -hmm. actually be able to 
put your best foot forward in any task that you are given because you're no help to anybody if you're continually sitting at a screen or you're continually being asked to deal with those pressures day in, day out without, without some sort of reprieve from your life that you're able to schedule in. So one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about is if there will be a tension between what agency leaders and what employees want moving forward. Mm. And I ask this because when I when we did our best agencies to work for data, we um, found that the two things that employees that value more than anything else is being fairly compensated. I mean, you know, people do work for money. <laughs> like, I mean, so um, as much as, you know, the, all the Zoom happy hours and social perks, I mean, the number one thing, I mean, the top, she was like the first three were all related to being fairly competitively compensated. And the second thing, of course, was time. And that, to that point about autonomy and people want to control their time. And that is something that, again, I think some people really never thought was possible until the pandemic. So that's what we heard from the employees. And then when I when I talk to man, you know agency leaders, I it's I, I kind of get a broad spectrum, right? Like some, you know, I feel like I, I get a lot more emphasis on things like Zoom happy hours and these social perks, and a little less emphasis on the, what employees seem to really value, which is compensation and time. Like, um, so I wonder is as we move, as we sort of crawl out of this, and we start to return to some kind of office scenario. Um, whether there will be tension between what, you know, the, the top management and what employees are valuing and, and, you know, what they prioritize? I think it, there will definitely be tension if you're not listening to employees, because ultimately, whose truth are you telling? Are you telling your, your own truth that our employees will be, um, will be fine coming back to an office and going back to a particular regime? Or is your opinion being informed by you actually having conversations with those you're asking to do that, to do that behavior? And as you were saying before is, I think what's happened, the well, I, again, this is not based on any data, but I do feel that there's a lot of internalizing of negative behavior of others, whether it's senior members or trickle down to whatever level you are in a business, that's no longer happening, internalizing it, because people have actually found a voice to mm. actually counter, counter with respect, but also understanding the what is the necessity of us being in an office, what's it for and why. So that's not to say that people should be made to feel back, come, to come back into an office, but it's more so making people feel that like they have a choice to. This is not an opt, you, you, everybody's opting in. If you opt out, there's an issue. Because some people do crave that. Some people do want to go back into an office environment and be in a physical space. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. For me, it's just about the choice. Right. Are you putting, are you projecting your truth and what you want for your business or employees because it suits what you believe is the truth? Or are you actually listening to the, to your people to right. say what works best for you? Because what we've been doing, what's been asked of you these past 18 months has been hard, but you found a way to balance it. Congratulations. How do we make this a good transition that works for both of us? You know, I think listening, I think that, I think you nailed it with, you know, I mean, there, you have to listen to employees and given that we are a business in which, um, you know, your, your talent, I mean, that's essentially what you're selling, right? You're selling yeah. people's time at a premium. So, um, so, you know, that employees should really, you know, they, they, they have more 
power, I think, than they realize in terms of driving some of this policy, given that they they are they are the product, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think like a lot of these CEOs or stakeholders, it's you you've got to start nipping in the bud when you start having a monologue rather than a conversation. I think that's what irks me the most mm-hmm. is when you're talking at people, mm-hmm. and what you're doing again is placing the burden mm-hmm. of right. what you want from a business onto others. And I'm not talking about the product side. I'm talking about the culture, work culture side of it but you're actually not adapting to what the needs are that that is irksome stop having monologues yeah yeah and I think you know there is this sense of going back to normal and it's interesting as I'm having these conversations with agency leaders I will say there there is a good portion of them that that are that embrace change that are adaptable and flexible and you know technology changed us you know in addition to the pandemic the fact that we realized how much technology we have at our disposal to enable um, working differently, right? Um, mm. And then, and then there are many that I speak to that are on that camp, and then I do speak to some that are steeped back in um, the old world, and, and they they want a time machine, and they want to go back to 2018, and, and kind of you know press reset and pretend like none of this happened. Um, what do you think about mental health benefits moving forward? Because one of the other interesting things I noted from agency best agencies to work for is. Like, you know, some of these perks that people use to kind of alleviate stress, like gym memberships and, you know, some of these wellness stipends that people could use on getting massages and things like that kind of went out the window because obviously none of those were an option for the last 12 months. And people really very much had to figure out other ways to manage stress, whether that was working out at home. One thing that I hear often from folks was like taking walks and, you know, at 10 a.m. Well, I spoke to one woman who she has a 10 a.m. walk that she does every single day and that... um, you know, that, that she she protects that in her schedule as much as she can. Um, what do you think in terms of mental health and, and wellness sort of benefits as we kind of crawl out of this? How do you think that will change? And what can employers do to support employees from your perspective? Oh, I feel that uh, like, well, mental health resources, it's not one size fits all, for instance. I mean, somebody might get uh, some reprieve out of a massage. Somebody might not. Somebody right. might get... Um, feel um, a little lighter going out for a walk, but maybe somebody needs to talk to a trained or professional therapist. So I think it's more about don't throw tools at people. Mm. I think for me, it's about those individual conversations that HR can have with employees to say, what do you need? What do you want? And also not just on HR, but it's also from a managerial perspective too, is understanding the individual needs where you can and how best to help. So as much as you are sending out notes to people emails saying this is what's part of the package that's great there's nothing wrong with that because again you're acknowledging that there is a need but again not one size fits all your job going back to the point I made earlier right is your job is to listen to what needs to be done and to help and then having making sure that people are understanding of what the options are open to them yeah yeah I think that's an excellent point is just I mean going back to that simple um statement of just listening, you know, the same thing that you probably do for your, your clients. Um, you know, as we, as may we... I also add, Oh, I'm sorry. Darling. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, go yeah. Ahead. What to also add is that also thinking about 
the different nature, what the, the roles of each of those resources take, mm. because you might be throwing, um, sharing tools that are great to help you cope in that moment. But what about in three months time? Right. What, what would be the impact of that moment? You don't know how that's going to shape your behavior. So yeah. how do you want that to be some sort of a journey into right. keeping and building that momentum and keeping the mental health, um, the welfare of mental health uh, consistent as opposed to just one moment this is applying to at any moment in time it doesn't really work like that kind of feels like that has to have its own little mini plan again when and as relevant to whoever that individual would be yes yes no i think that's that's an an excellent an excellent point um you know um is there anything else that you want to say? I mean, as we are, you know, a, a year from the conversation we you know, were, yeah, well, I guess almost a year from the conversation we had in 2020, um, anything else in terms of what agencies and brands need to think about? And, and, let, and let's be really specific as we uh, for a closing qu question in terms of the mental health for some of their maybe marginalized groups at their workplace um, that they should be keeping in mind as we kind of mark this one year. I would say um, to that point, I'd say that definitely has been a cultural shift mm -hmm. in how um, HR are, are, is approaching mental health, but right. also we need as equal balance of cultural competency too, because there are many stigmas around mental health in the community and encouraging people to use resources in a safe space or whatever environment you constitute in a space is fine, but it also realizing that that might not be carried over into their personal space because again of that stigma between whether again from a race or religious background. So I think that ultimate level of awareness and self-education and then adapting your mental health uh, mental health resource tools to what is needed per that community to break away that stigma. Right, right. Uh, that's well, very, very, very well said. Well, Sabrina, it's always a pleasure to have you on this podcast. And I think, you know, your, your perspective, um, I, I think it helps challenge the industry um, to, to innovate and to think differently. So thank you for your time today. No worries. I've got to do more than this. I've carried this afro on my head. So <laughs> I'm happy to help. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, thank you. And um, again, um, this was another episode of the Provoke podcast, another one that we're focusing specifically on, on mental health for this, this month. And we will be back soon with another episode. been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.